was my guest last week, and he's back real quickly to talk about One True Three. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me again. Last week we did One True Three about playtesting, and there were three answers. Number one was that a single group has played 200 games in a week. Number two was that a group aced the playtester application for the first time in history. Mm-hmm. And number three was that Harry Mudd had previously been rejected by testers four times. Those were the three options that I gave for uh, one true three last last week. Okay, which one is which one is true? The true one is that we recently had a tester application that aced the card section, uh, and that never happened before. It was it was actually kind of exciting. While suspicious, it was exciting that someone had got that. So. No group had ever played 200 games, and, and Harry Mudd has not been rejected four times. No, no, no. In fact, uh, I think if anybody does the math for 200 games, that's a lot of playing. That's like over eight hours a day playing, six people playing you know, hour games and knocking them out. They would have to be playing games faster than an hour a, a game, which uh, may, maybe partial games would happen in testing like that, but man, 200, that's a lot. It's a real lot. We, we did have a, a larger group, though, that um, was very prolific, and they, they were able to get lots of games in, and we've had some around the necessary evil time. And then we've also had some groups that have put in lots of games during the current uh, the continuing committee testing that have put in lots of lots of games as well, but nowhere close to 200. And uh, Harry Mudd, we, we never never once showed up in the playtest file. Uh, I think that during the cipher, we didn't have approvals on Harry Mudd or from their estate, so that's why we never did anything uh, about the the Harcourt fit and mud there. And then I don't think it's just it just hasn't come up in any of the, the goals for uh, for uh, the continuing committee cards. So that's why he, he's never shown up. So I'm I'm kind of excited to see what the community puts together. I'm sorry, the collective puts together and uh, for uh, Harry Mudd. Welcome to An Hour with the Continuing Committee. I am Charlie Plain, and today I am going to be interviewed by Mr. Brad DeFruiter. Welcome back to the show, Woo-hoo. Brad. Woohoo! Glad to be back. Uh, I, I don't know how this is going to go, so we're just going to try this out, but Brad volunteered to interview me, and I know he has some questions from you guys and some questions of his own, so I'm going to do my best to answer them. Uh, I'm not going to tell you any lies or spin anything. I'm just going to try to shoot straight from the hip. And if this is something you guys like to hear, then maybe we'll do it again in the future. But I do have one question for you, Brad. And I'm just curious why you volunteered to interview me. Well, one, I knew that we have decent uh, communication skills so that we could maybe chit chat a little bit better because I know that that would probably be a much easier way to open up with everything. Plus, you know, I man, I I love the idea of you doing podcasts, and I want to do everything I can to help uh, push another one out there. Of course, I have some questions for you too, and uh, I I think that the answers are things that the, the the general population would like to hear as well. Well, all right, I will hand the floor over to you, and it's your show. All right. So my questions are going to be a mix of questions that some of the community asked me to ask, and some questions that. Uh, I have that I think the community would like to hear. One of my first things is uh, even at early stages when we were talking about just calling ourselves the Star Trek Players Committee and stuff like that, 
did you have an idea that it would be this successful, that it would encompass so much, that it would bring in first edition and triples as well, and bring in a, such a new influx of new players? Not that we're being swarmed by new players, but we still are bringing back old players, and we still bring in our new players. Did, did, did you see that in your initial vision? I really didn't. Um, I, I hoped that whatever we put together would allow me to keep playing the game for years to come. Um, you know, I always made the argument to people in my local play group that, you know, if the cipher goes out of business, it's not like all the cards that we have are just going to magically vanish. There's no reason we can't keep playing. Um, I, I never thought that it would become what it's become. Uh, I thought that we would be small and it would be basically a message board and a couple guys putting out virtual expansions and a place for everybody to just gather and talk and and man it's it's just grown far beyond anything i could have imagined you know three years ago yeah i you know it it definitely whenever i go to the website i love I know there's been a lot of discussions inside about how the, how the the website should look, but I see it and I see the content and I say, you know, this this is so professional. What 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 do you think adds? What do you think gives that appearance when someone visits our website and starts reading our content? What what makes you think that we still look somewhat professional out there? <clears throat> I think it's the quality and dedication of the volunteers that we have. Um, there are a number of people out there. I mean, Chris Slobin has done enough work on our software and our our, our uh, coding that I, I, I know for a fact that there are professional game companies out there that have expressed uh, necessarily, not necessarily interest, but like appreciation of, of what we've been able to do. And, and Johnny, being a professional graphic designer, making all of our artwork... It's just we we basically have professional people doing this out of love and passion for the game. So, and and, and you know I I put a lot of time into this and 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 the, in terms of development, I mean the transition from Decipher to the Continuing Committee for for des design and development was seamless. Pretty much, it was just we're going to stop working on this server and go to this server, and it was most of the same playtest teams and the same designer and same resources. I, I just think that the fact that we have people who know how to design websites and who know how to design graphics and who know how to design cards doing those things make us look great. And, and, and also we were able to learn from the last two or three years of deciphers mistakes with a wow. website and do all of the stuff that we always wanted decipher to do, but they never did. So, right. not to belittle such, decipher, such, but not to belittle decipher and what they did because they did a lot for us. But uh, being having you know only having one game and only having well starting out with only one game now having three, but being able to uh, do all of the things we wanted done without having to go through a bunch of corporate um, walls makes it very successful. Could you share some of the long term? plans or, or long-term ideas that, you know, and how you see the, the continued committee being, you know, maybe five years down the road or further? Long-term plans. Well, that's a loaded question. Um, 
in, in general, I, I definitely, I don't see any reason why we can't be doing this for five, ten years. Um, as long as the people who are volunteering are willing to keep volunteering, uh, I don't see why we can't do this indefinitely. Um, one of the big concerns early on was player atrophy. Uh, you know, as players get older and get married and have families, they play less, and that means they don't participate as much. Um, was going to be a problem for us, but the fact that we have been able to recruit and bring back older players and cater to players who have time constraints with virtual and printable cards uh, and recruit new players, I don't see that as a worry anymore. Um so in, in five years, I definitely see us hopefully still doing what we're doing, and if not, if not more stuff. Um, obviously, I can't predict where the games will be, um, but we have a four-year plan for first edition laid out. Wow. Uh, going into effect, pretty much going into effect with the not the strain study just came out, so not that one, not the one after that, but the one after that, um, which would be summer of 2011. We're going to switch to a new, I don't want to scare anybody, but it, I, I'm going to call it a new model. Um, nothing's changing with the game or anything like that. We're not redoing first edition or, or anything, but um, going to sort of uh, structured releases that tie better together and, uh-huh. uh, Along with that, we're going to introduce new starter decks and really get one virtual play going so that you can download a deck, print it out, sleeve it, and play no matter what wow. your experience is. And, and it's going to be, they'll rotate regularly. We'll add new ones periodically and, and so forth. Um, tribbles, Dan, Sir Dan is doing most of the Tribbles work, but uh, basically one new Tribbles expansion every year in April. For the foreseeable future. Uh, and wow. tri- Tribbles is picking up. It's getting played in Australia pretty regularly now. I, I, I think the uh, Europeans got a taste of it, and hopefully they'll start playing it. It's it's just so much fun. Uh, second edition. Uh, um, you you know that you don't you don't plan out too far ahead, but I, I would like to um, get a l- get a little bit more of a, a structured plan for for one e or for two e. I'm sorry. Um, not necessarily in terms of specifics, but more of uh, a general theme, a general structure for how we're going to lay out what our what our what we're going to do. Um, uh-huh. I would like to in the next couple of years do a um, a joint release where we release oh. a a single expansion that has uh, you know forty five one e and forty five two e cards that are thematically based on the same thing you know uh we we joked about it in the <clears throat> excuse me we joked about it in the april fool's joke in 2010 but a, a good example not that we could ever do this but a good example would be the new the last star trek movie the the jj abrams movie um uh-huh. introducing that to the game via in both editions via a a combined joint release uh you know not necessarily worked on together you know two he does its thing and one he does his thing but they come out at the same time and it's a big deal I would like to do that right. at least once to see how it how it works. Um, organized play wise, uh, obviously Europeans and uh, worlds in Europe was a huge success. 
needing to balance um, that is going to take some time and energy. We want to always innovate people. Uh, we always want to innovate ways for people to play. Um, we have a really cool new organized play program coming uh, starting in 2011. Um, I don't know when this episode's going up yet, so I don't know if it's been announced or not, but uh, it's it's based on something being done in um, video games and a, another card game that is going to be a, a, a nice incentive for people to just play. Um, we want to add more tournaments, uh, different kinds of tournaments, and get more people playing all over the globe. So I, I, I would like to think that things will be cruising on, and then when, we, when we're planning the, the 2015 world championship that most of the same people are involved and having fun and, and 50 tur- 50 people at a major tournament is is commonplace instead of you know awesome so right awesome that, that sounds like that sounds like a lot um that sounds like you're doing a lot uh, just for the listeners out there could you try to give a, a a brief rundown on on what you do as the chairman and um how many different things you've got coordinated i realize that some of these things that they may be in their infancy and you maybe don't want to talk about them but could you just you know just give us maybe a vague rundown on uh what your duties are as as our chairman sure um i have my fingers in a lot of pies uh in a support role um i work with you as an assistant designer from time to time uh i don't i don't know if it's if it's you call me darth maul I'm the shadowy apprentice, meaning I'm always kind of around because you and I have been working together on second edition now for five years, four or five years. And, uh, you know, if God forbid, knock on wood, something happens to you, um, I'm in a position to be able to at least temporarily take over, which is, so I see every expansion, uh, for two, whether or not I'm working on it. And I, I do the same thing for one. E. Um, I've been, Working on getting one is getting to the point where it's it's going to be more self sufficient and I can step out of it. But uh-huh. uh, as an experienced designer and as somebody who's set up these programs for two e, uh, I was working mostly to get the same things in place for Winnie. Um, I, I'm my my official job is interfacing with the community and. I take care of all the financials, so I manage all of our, our funds and money allocation. Um, I innovate as best I can, so I'm always looking for new ideas and new ways to promote the games and support the games. I project manage. is probably the biggest thing I do, which is uh, delegating tasks and getting on people who aren't doing the things they're supposed to do and managing the schedules and managing the release schedules. Uh, I also am the the mediator if I have a department or a group of people that are unable to reach a consensus or unable to make a decision that'll come to my desk and I will uh, end the dispute or set the path some people have called me a visionary I don't know if I am a visionary I don't I don't like to take any credit for anything but basically I'm steering the boat and I have a lot a very capable crew of volunteers uh, doing their jobs and making it easier, but I'm the one who's charting the course that we're on and hopefully making the best decisions for the health of the game and the community. Um, 
the fact that I'm unemployed right now means that I'm doing a lot of things that I normally wouldn't do simply because I have the time available. Um, for example, the last first edition CRD that came out, I, I drafted that document. I, uh, I also converted the, um, the conversion rules from the old format to the new format with our logo on it and the pretty fonts and everything, simply because I don't, you know, I spend four hours a day applying for jobs, but then after that, you know, what am I going to do? And, and Nick and uh -huh. his guys are super busy. I don't really mind taking an hour or two to make a document for him. Now, if I right. get a job or get married or anything like that, my time to do that kind of things will go down, but that's when we can call on our volunteer corps to do more and more stuff. So I don't know if I answered your question. I talked a lot, but uh, there's there's very little that goes on that I don't at least peripherally have an involvement in, even, even if it was just, Darren, go take care of this. So, Right. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I, I, I think that's going to give players a, a much better idea. Um, now, you, you talked about some of that that delegation or things that you think you would ask other people to do. What duties are you, are you doing right now that you feel you could uh, you know, somewhat easily reassign to someone or, you know, like, for example, do, uh, reformatting the, the, the recent 1E documents? What do you what, Give, give us an example of maybe some other things that you're doing that would uh, be easy to tra to transfer over to uh, another volunteer. Um, well, any number of those little tasks, like um, right now, Johnny and his graphic design team are busy, so mm -hmm. we're we're working on clearing the ban list in the official tournament format for first edition. Mm -hmm. We're doing that by testing Errata with our playtesters. Um, to save Johnny some time, and because we were working on straight and steady and we were working on peak performance all at the same time, I opened up Photoshop and made made the, the playtest versions of those cards on my own. I was updating those with uh, Alan Gould. He's our uh, OTF errata master. His, his, his job is clearing that list. So I would make the PDFs. Uh, if I was super busy, that would be easily something that I could hand off to Johnny and his team. It might take more time, but you know I can't do everything. Uh, same with the document creation. You know we've got Darren as our our editor, and we've got writers, and we've got members of the rules committee that I could easily pass off the source files and say you're in charge of making the CRD updates. Um, more generically, well, I could also be involved in less projects. You know I wrote some of the cards are straight and steady and I'm writing some of the cards in, in project Lupin, which is our next one. E. Uh, I could stop doing that. Um, I have fun doing it. That's, I, I don't consider that work. I consider that fun. Um, in general, I think that we're at a point where we need to restructure the continuing committee a bit. Um, we have some very talented people that aren't necessarily, uh, empowered as much as I would like them to be. Um, you know, I have my hand in some organized play pies, and I would like to get my hands out of those and get all of those in the control of our director of organized play, which is James Hoskin. Um, James Hoskin, sorry. I would like to restructure ourselves so that we're almost departmentalized. And, and you know, James talks to me, and James talks to the, the coordinators, but I don't necessarily talk to the coordinators. Not, not that I don't want to, 
uh, and I would certainly be more than willing to talk to anybody who, who wants to talk to me, volunteer or non-volunteer, and that goes for, for anyone out there. Um, but I, I would like to, to be sort of a system where I go to James and say, uh, I think we have a problem with our tiebreakers. Go work with your team and identify whether we do or not and come up with some solutions and then come back to me with what you've figured out and we'll make a decision together. Rather than me being the one going to the organized play board saying, I want to fix what we have with our tiebreakers, I want to just go to James and say, James, I want to fix what we have with our tiebreakers. And James takes it down to the, to the team to work on. And I want to do the same thing with, with first edition and second edition in our marketing department. So it's, uh-huh. it, it's, it's, I would like it to be that we have you know, people who are doing the legwork and the coordination and, and working with the, the people and getting the things done. And then it really just comes back to me, not, not necessarily to make the final decision, but to, I would like to, to move into that role where I'm the guy saying, let's do this and this and this, and then making the decisions when the options come back, where it's like, well, we can do plan A or plan B, and we think we should do plan B, and I will you know, make the decision at that point. I would like to be more of a project manager and a leader than a uh, going, I'd like to come up a level in granularity, if that makes any sense. So, no, it does. It does. It's all that's that's great stuff. I, I, I'm gonna toy sidetrack here a little bit. You you mentioned Project Lupin. Is that is that what it is? I yeah. love code names. How how are you coming up with the code names for first edition test expansions? Um, our first first edition expansion was Phoenix, mm-hmm. because I I thought that was you know ironic. It was. Uh, um, Rising from the ashes. Rising from the ashes. Yeah, exactly. And that's where life from lifelessness came from. Uh, originally, there was some resistance to the idea of oh, people are going to get mad, and I was like, no, they're not. It's just great. It's a cool name. It's very symbolic, and it makes sense. And we had a decent number of Star Trek II cards in there, so it was even, you know, thematically related. Um, when we were starting to do the plan out, I was like, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but Magic Magic the Gathering does three set blocks most of the time. And they codenamed them, uh, they had, you know, uh, Snap, Crackle, Pop, and they've had Live, Long, Prosper, and, and they always pick three three names that are related and, and codename them that way. Um, so I wanted to think of something that we could use that would codename the first few expansions that wasn't necessarily, it could go on beyond three, because we don't really do blocks. Uh, so I came upon Harry Potter, and uh, I don't know if uh, in Harry Potter universe, every year there's a, a, a professor that changes because they either die or they're evil or something bad happens to them. It's the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. So uh, the first one was Professor Quirrell, and we kind of missed the boat on that because we went with Phoenix. But I was like, okay, so the second one is going to be uh, Lockhart because the professor in the second book was this uh, smarmy, arrogant jerk. And then the third one is Lupin, and he was the uh, professor in the third book. So then we're going to go Moody and uh, Umbridge and then Snape, and then we're going to stop with that and go into some different kind of naming scheme. But so we have our, we're going to go with Harry Potter professors for our first six at least. I love it. I love it. You, you know, uh, the Android operating systems are, are doing a similar thing, and they're going with desserts, and they're doing them in alphabetical order. So there was Cupcake, then Donut. Then Eclair, then frozen yogurt, and then they're going on to what's next, which I think is is uh, gingerbread, and then honeycomb, and then ice cream. It's it's I I absolutely love the idea of some some uh, 
some funny name, code names for that kind of stuff like that. Charlie, uh, I think that we talked a little bit about, about some, some, of, some of these things that uh, might happen with some changes down the line with the, with the continuing committee. What, could, what would you ask of, uh, of the, at the community at large, you know, uh, the, the, the players on what they can do to, to help the game and if there's anything that you think that you would like to see them contribute more to, uh, to help the game and to help the continuing committee? That's a great question. Um, the number one thing that anybody out there can do to help the continuing committee is play the game. Whether you play first edition, play triples, play second edition, or play all of them, play the game. Whether you're whether you're playing with your brother or your roommate or whether you're running tournaments, we live and breathe by our players. And if nobody's playing, why are we doing all this work? Um, so play the game. Participate in the community. You know, come on the message boards, ask questions, post ideas, make suggestions, play the game as much as you can, much as you want to. Um, the next level above that is play in tournaments or run tournaments. Um, if you don't have anybody to play with, and we, we've got a lot of people who are, are you know, isolated. They, there's nobody within a couple hundred miles that plays with them. Uh, take it upon yourself to teach somebody. Go to your bookstore. Go to your game store. Print off some decks and show somebody how to play, and t tell them that they can play the game without paying any real, any any significant amount of money. Just you got to buy some printer ink and some paper. Uh, go to one of the many people online that sell combo boxes. Buy a combo box and run a sealed draft draft for you know people. Um, we've got. A lot of players all over the world that just they want to play, but they're by themselves. So play in our online tournaments, play with Lackey. But but the most important thing that anybody can do is play and teach others how to play. Because every person that joins the site as a player and participates in discussion is is another player that might reach out to somebody else and bring another person in and another person in. And then the next thing you know, we could easily have 60, 70, 80 people playing in a, a major tournament at a con. And... Uh, Every you know, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but every player that every person who comes to the site might buy a tournament kit or become a premium member and and make a donation. And you know, we don't we don't need a lot of money, but we need a a, a decent amount of money coming in consistently. So, um, our community has been so generous, and I, I really don't want to sound like we're begging because we we don't need anything right now. But every dollar we get just goes right back into the community and, and making more tournament kits and shipping out prizes and, and paying for hotel rooms maybe in the future. And who knows if we have enough people donating and enough people buying stuff, maybe in the future we could do something like uh, plane tickets for continental championship winners. Um, don't, wow. don't quote me on that. I'm not promising that, but um, well, it's too late. It's out there. It is out there, but uh, <laughs> just the most important thing that anybody can do is play. Um, if you're looking for more active stuff to do, we always could use more content on the website. So you could contact Darren Lacoste about becoming a writer. Um, if you're skilled with Photoshop or especially skilled with InDesign, we could use some more help on our graphic design team. You can contact Johnny Haleva. Um, if you have a solid group of people and you might be interested in being a tester, you can contact yourself, Brad, or Jason Red 3 if you want to get involved in the first edition. Um, 
there's a lot of different pro and we we periodically have new projects that come up so pay attention to what what's going on and and when we ask for help if you want to help volunteer awesome awesome hey could you give me some of the handles for some of those people you just mentioned to contact in, in case someone wants to just send them a, a pm a personal message sure darren lacoste is uh andreas coulter um okay. you can contact him johnny haleva is jjh on the message boards um brad is brad and Jason Robinette, who's our one elite designer, he is Jason Red Three, and I will put Excellent. I will put all of those handles in the show notes when I put this show up, so you'll be able to just go to the forum post and and contact them directly. So awesome. So, so Johnny, I I want to talk to did you, about did you call me Johnny? Stuff about I, I so did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. See, this is what we get when we talk about people's handles. I, I'm starting to think about uh, I'm thinking about other people's names. Stuff. I was totally thinking about Johnny's team there for a second there. <laughs> so, Charlie, I actually want to talk a little bit about you here um, so that this interview isn't just about the continuing committee. It's a little bit more about you and what you've got going on. What I want to know is I want to hear about uh, favorite deck that you've ever played and um, what deck you're working on right now. My favorite deck is what Brian Sykes, my, my good buddy Brian Sykes, called the Juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a tie. Jugger- Juggernaut is, is probably my favorite. Um, it was a Bajoran deck, and it okay. used two... It used um, the two Integrity Planet missions. Um, no, that's not right. I'm sorry. It used one Integrity Space mission, one Integrity Planet mission, one Strength space mission and one strength planet mission and it was called the juggernaut because it was really hard to stop in that it was it was a, a well-balanced bajoran deck that could do a two mission win a three mission win a four mission win i could oh, wow. take apart what you were doing i could battle for points i could remove your stuff from the game i could uh dimensional shift onto your ship to battle you for points I had it was just a, a great toolbox, and if you got out the gate early with your high integrity people, you could do investigate alien probe and then uh, transport delegates to solve two missions and then go battle with just like old times twice to get points. Or if you got your battle cards early, you could go do Krasari rendezvous and ditch your your phasers for points and win that way. So it was just a it didn't matter it did not matter what you were doing to me. I had another way that I could go to get to victory. It, it, that it was sounds a, like fun. It was a fun deck. Um, the most successful deck I've ever played was my Dominion Infiltrator deck, where I, I won North American Continentals three years ago. Um, it was a lot. It was an attribute denial deck. It was a lot of fun. Um, the, I've been working on a a three headquarters Millstone oh deck. Um, it's uh, Tarak Nor. Romulus and Cardassia. Uh, it has one copy of every unique dissident and three copies of every non-unique dissident. One ship, uh, one equipment, one graph plating trap, uh, one prejudice in politics, one praetor, and the new resistance in it. So I just sit there and I all I do is draw cards and discard cards to put these dissidents in my discard pile. 
You attempt your first mission. I hit you with a back to basics to put them all back in the deck. I play the new resistance and I play my whole deck on one turn. <clears throat> and uh, make you discard 23 cards. You attempt your mission again. I hit you with another back to basics and I do it again and make you discard another, you know, 15 cards. And then hopefully my prejudice in politics has gotten me enough points that we're both decked out and I win 10 to nothing in, in 25 minutes. It's, it's very tricky. It's, it can be shut down by just the wrong thing at the wrong time, but it's been a lot of fun building it and trying to put it together. Oh, I bet. Anytime you get a combo together like that, it's got to be fun. It's got to be exciting. What dilemmas hurts that deck, and what kind of dilemmas do you like to play with? Uh, that deck would be taken apart by anything that keys off headquarters, obviously. Um, although, But I guess that, that deck doesn't really face dilemmas, so does it? Well, it... I, I, some people have suggested, why don't you do four or five headquarters? And it's like, I, I hate building a deck that can't come back from adversity. And if, if you solve a mission before I, I lock you out, I'm screwed unless I can solve a mission of my own. So I, I use three headquarters because that gives me one planet and one space that I can do. So yeah, I could run into, I could easily run into uh, a dilemma that, you know, hits me with, uh, final adventure and slaughters three of my people or or anything like that so that that deck is, is it's it's a balanced on a pinhead deck but in theory i could at that point i'm also going to have like 30 people in play so i can attempt it you know attempt with nine attempt with right. nine attempt with nine uh timescape would then be a big fear for me but that's why i have two <laughs> missions <clears throat> and uh if you remember from our last podcast you you said that the the romulan bird of prey was the best ship well that's the ship i use Simply right? because, oh, yeah. because uh, Rick, uh, Data, Picard, Spock are all four-cost Romulans, and they're all dissidents, so I could get that ship up to ten range just playing the people that I have in the deck. So, what Great. what dilemmas do I like to use? Uh, I am yeah, very exactly. I am very partial to persistent, probably because I wrote it. Um, <laughs> I have a persistent dilemma pile that I think is really good. Uh, I don't get to play enough to really prove that it is good. Um, it's mostly skill dilemmas, so it deals with stuff like Archer and Rega. It is mostly low-cost dilemmas, so most of the time I can play what I get. The, the downside is you need a, a decent amount of draw and spend extra because you tend to have to play a number of dilemmas to stop them. However... Um, there's getting to be more and more options for that, and it's 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 getting more and more usable. I think that there are probably a couple things that Persistent needs to get going. Um, ironically, one of the best cards for Persistent is Eris, the Dominion Vorta, but I never I never play it with a Dominion deck just because they have their own <laughs> issues. But I love Persistent. I really want to find a way to make it work. Um, I like. Legacy a lot. I know it's controversial, but I, I like what it's done to the game. I like where where it's making people go. Uh, I also think that a legacy comboed with an overwhelmed could be insanely good if you could get the balance right in right. in the pile. Um, overwhelmed is one of my favorite dilemma piles of all time. But again, it, it overwhelmed costing four. It relies on being able to spend and draw more. Not necessarily uh, draw more, but spend more. So cards like I don't like to lose that nobody ever uses, I like to dig out of the binder and, and put with that dilemma pile. So, 
Right. And, and now we have people scrambling over to, to their collection right now to look to see what I Don't Like to Lose uh, actually does, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I'm not going to say. Go, go look it up. But it's a good card, especially with Overwhelm. So. Well, that's great. You know, it's interesting to see how much players enjoy different types of dilemmas, and they have that strong feelings on certain dilemmas and, and, and stuff like that. Um, if you had to pick just one dilemma that you that you really think is is your go-to dilemma that you always want to put in a pile what would that dilemma be i'm going to be predictable and i'm okay. going to i'm going to say hard time oh. I, yeah i knew you were going to say that um it, <laughs> i mean, i was explaining the whole concept behind balance to somebody a while ago i don't remember who it was but i said you know i can prove that hard time is undercosted because everybody uses it every time, and um, it is the, it's printable, so you can run as many as you want and as many decks as you want. It doesn't go under, and it gets rid of somebody. And unless you're using wariness or, or, or damaged archer, you can't really do anything about it. So it, 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 I always, except in very specific dilemma piles like legacy, or overwhelmed, or persistence. Um, there's no reason not to run at least one or two of them. N now, with with Damaged Archer and Wariness, there there are some reasons not to run it. So, um, Another dilemma that I really like is Inferiority. Not, oh, yeah. because, not because I wrote it, but it's, it's a... I mean, so many times you draw and you can't play anything. And if you, if you draw three and you get two space and they're at a planet, but one of them's an Inferiority, you can throw it and, you know, you can play for the next mission attempt. With, with that card, right. and it gives you more options, and it's it's not, I mean, you could rig it or kirk it, it can get removed from Helen, by Helen Noel, but I always run at least one or two of those in most of my piles, so. Oh, that's great. You know, talking to you a little bit about cards here, it seems like you like a lot of flexibility in, in what your, your decks do and your, your piles do. You like to have some options in case, in case things happen. Do you think that's true? Oh, absolutely. I... I I have a couple. I've learned a lot about myself at a, as a gamer. Um, I generally hate games or decks where my cards in my deck are also a resource. Um, I've had issues with Star Wars and, and Wars for that very reason because I, I I put cards in my deck because I want to play them, uh, and it took me a lot of time to get used to the idea of I'm not going to play every card in my deck because they're going to come off and be force or or power or whatever they were. Um, so I, I like to build, I don't like to build, the, the corollary to that is I don't like to build decks where you're discarding a lot to do stuff. Uh, I can and I have, but it's like against my natural instincts as a gamer. Um, I tend to think very logically, so I always want to try to have a plan for every contingency. The, the problem with, with, with Star Trek CCG in general and, and, and all CCGs in 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 is that uh, you can't plan for everything or your deck is going to be so bloated and poorly tuned that you're never going to win any games. Um, right. So you sort of just have to analyze the meta and decide what hurts you the most and what you want to not deal with the most and, and build accordingly. But um, I don't like to build decks where you can't, I never like to be in a situation where I can't come back. I can't win if something happens to me. So right. 
in that. All film. right. So so with so with that that thought going on right now, if Worlds was next week, what deck would Charlie Flynn play? I would play Farseeing Eyes. Really? Yeah. I, really? I I said this before. I when I when I interviewed Kevin. I I said Farseeing Eyes could be a dark horse. Nobody played it at Worlds, but if 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 somebody played Farseeing Eyes and got lucky, they might have been able to stop the Tarok Nor sh- shenanigans, or they might have been able to take your damage archers out before you got the chance to use them. I mean, Farseeing Eyes is a hard deck or to play. Or, or your Sean Hawkins. Yeah. Or your Sean Hawkins. Or your Lustful Distractions, or, or whatever. Um, Farseeing Eyes is a hard deck to play. But it, 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 it can be used in so many ways. I can use it to take out the skills that you need for my Dilemma Pile, which is how Justin Beal always did it. I can right. use it to take out your defenses. I can use it to take out your weapons. And the other, the other advantage of it is in match play, after I've used it once, I've seen your entire deck. And... After I've seen you, know you you're gonna go after. After I've seen you play, and I mean, when I play the first game, I have to make a, a decision. What am I gonna go after? And I decide, and that might be wrong, and I lose the first game. But now I get to play the second game, and I know exactly what your deck does now, and I know what the right decision is. So, I don't know if I would play it in day one. I, I, I still think it'd be good in day one. It's just very exhausting to play that deck. Uh, mm-hmm. But that, if I were going to worlds, if worlds was next week, I would be be trading and borrowing cards to play Farseeing Eyes. Okay. Would would you mix in some wariness with that, or do you think that you would just try to run the Romulans straight up? I would certainly mix in. I would at least run one wariness in that deck, because you're going to be removing cards from the game anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I would build it as a wariness deck, because that can be expensive. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are some good four-cost Romulans, especially with uh, Karina and Ruan now in, in peak performance. Um I think that I would at least run one Wariness and one uh, Viceroy, uh, the, the event downloader Viceroy, and a couple four-cost people, just just to be just to make it a little easier and make my opponent think a little harder. So, right, right, okay. Well, now we we talked a little bit about the the possibility of you not doing as many tasks in the com- continued committee as possible. Let's say that all of your card designing tasks have been removed don't start crying just yet <laughs> and uh but you get a chance to make one more card before you go and uh give me a card for each for each game here what what would be that last parting shot that last card that you get to make or and you can just give give us a concept or you don't have to give us game text but what would be that last card if you could only make one last card here for us wow um I don't know. For, for second edition, I would be tempted to make a character that I've wanted to see in the game for a while. Uh-huh. Um, probably the number one character that always keeps coming up that I want to see more than anything is, is Lily Sloan in Tui. Um, I don't know what she would do. She probably, if I were to make her, I'd probably have her work with the Phoenix, maybe uh, download it or let you move it for free or something. I don't know, but I, I, I like that character. I'd like to see that character in the game. Um, Conceptually, there are a lot of places I'd like to take second edition. Um, wow, that, that's just that just a tough question. Uh, in first edition, I would like to make a 
founding the Federation deck for Starfleet, where you, you, it's been talked about, and I'd like to see it done at some point, and I hope that I would get the chance to do it. Uh, I, are, are you talking like an, a, an objective type of question? Yes, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking a, an objective that essentially would be, and, and I don't think you could make this, this work with one card, uh, but the idea would be you go out and you get, you, you would play Earth, Vulcan, Teller Prime, Andoria, and you know Alpha Satari as your missions, and you'd play you know cards on them, and, and essentially you'd have a objective that was like if you ever get a human diplomat, a Vulcan diplomat, an Andorian diplomat, and a Tellerite diplomat together, you can uh, try to sign the charter, and if you get the charter signed, you win. So not or you know it counts as your completed space mission and gives you 50 points or something. I don't know how it would work, but the whole idea of, of having a deck type where you're essentially gathering the different folks together and getting them to found the Federation would be really cool to me. So I, I really like putting the pieces together. It reminds me of Hero of the Empire. Hero of the Empire probably one of my all-time funnest cards to play with because you're looking to get these pieces together to get this big cookie in the end. So I, I like that idea. I'd like probably idea. I'd probably do it something like when you saw it, when you complete it, it turns all of your Starfleet and non-aligned personnel to Federation affiliation, and then you get some sort of <laughs> of bonus for having Federation personnel in play. So well, that, I mean, it only well, makes sense if you found the Federation; they're not Starfleet anymore. Now they're they're Federation. So totally makes sense. All right, tribbles. Give me give me your tribble card idea. Uh, I actually pitched a couple ideas to Dan that he thought were excellent. I love it. Um, I'm not going to reveal those in case Casey uses them. Uh, I think it would be, <laughs> I think it would be really cool to make. I don't know if did you ever watch the animated series. In the animated yeah, series, yeah, they had yeah. a triple episode, and the Klingons found this little like weird looking alien thing that ate triples. <clears throat> and and there's a scene at the very end where there's this ginormous triple like the size of the, the corridor on this Klingon ship and the little triple eater thing looks at it, like jumps up on top of it and starts trying to eat it. And that I would, I would want to make a card with that image on it, either the little monster or the little monster trying to eat the giant triple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, so now we just talked about some card design. I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, what do you think the, the biggest difference between working, and since you've worked on both of them, what do you think the biggest difference between designing a card for first edition to second edition is? What's what's the biggest difference that's going on between those two versions? So some some of our people out there that are listening understand uh, how how sometimes these guys they can be drastically different games. Um, two we have the advantage of coming after one e and learning from you know ten years of. One E's mistakes. And I, I'm not belittling One E at all, but you know when they first made the game back in '94, I don't think they ever knew that it would still be what it was going to be. Um, Two E has clear timing. It has distinct phases. It has the order keyword, which is probably the, the if I could take one thing from Second Edition and put it in One E, it would be the order keyword. Simply, simply because I, I just get it wraps it. Just messes with my brain sometimes trying to understand when you can do some stuff in first edition turns, and I think that it could benefit from some clarity of timing there. Um, getting the timing right is tough in one e. Um, the, the the biggest difference probably, and I think we touched on this last time, was uh, 
personnel and ships in 1E don't have abilities. They don't have special skills, except in rare cases. Um, you know, you can put five lines of game text on a personnel in 2nd edition, and it works, and it makes sense. In 1E, you pretty much need to say, okay, we're going to make a verb that does that. And, you know, you can have the personnel download the verb, but... You got to be careful not to write verbs like you know. If your Jonathan Archer does this, you have to be. You have to. That's bad card design. No matter. I mean, I know one E has done that before, but I, I think that's uh -huh. bad card design. You know, you, you need to say something like when your Command Star Starfleet personnel does something. So it has to be genericized. Uh, but then you can make Archer download it, so he's at least going to be able to go grab it for free. Um, right. You, you you like to yell at me when I when I switch back and forth because I'll, I'll be like uh, plays on table. I'm writing a two e event and I'm like plays on table. You know you're like you don't do that in two e. <laughs> Play in your core or, or you know. <laughs> and I always try to use the word command on one e cards and get yelled at by playtesters. They're like you don't command things in one e. I'm like ah. <laughs> but the, the biggest difference is is I think the clarity of timing and the 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 weight on on verbs in one e versus two e where the weight is on nouns so all right no those those are all interesting things I especially like how the, the talk about how the weight is on 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 different issues there all right so uh so 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 you've got me here Charlie what do you think the the worst uh, second edition card that uh, I may have designed is this is this is from the board. Someone's someone's causing trouble out there. What what do you what do you think is a bad card that I've worked on that you know that I've worked on because we worked on it together? What do you think is a bad card out there? Oh goodness. Um, okay. Well, that's a that's a really tough question because there are a lot of reasons why a card is bad, and and uh, one man's bad card might be another man's money card. Um, oh, good point. I'm gonna interpret it as. A card that doesn't do what we wanted it to do. <clears throat> and I'm going to say Anorax and his ship from the Undiscovered Country. Because I think it's like Kiana's Hope or something. We, we wanted... Anorax started from wanting to help affiliations that had crappy ships get past Overwhelmed. Not Overwhelmed. What is it? Outclassed. And and deal with some of those kind of dilemmas. And so he, he that's where his first ability came from, which was... While he's on a non-fed ship, it's, I think, weapons plus two. Because we didn't want to make the Excelsior pass it. So, you know, it started out from a good place and ended up, you know, as soon as we put that on there, we should have been like, this is not good. Because it, it's, you know, it's being designed really to fight one specific card. And it's got a Trek Sensi exclusion on it that is on there to exclude another card. And and while I like the whole temporal manipulation and I think it's a good concept, I think it's not I don't think it's ever been used. I don't think anybody puts it together, I don't think anybody uses it the way we want it to use. So I I mean they aren't bad cards per se, but we started from a good place and went to bad places and ended up with cards that didn't realize their potential. So but but I want to say I want to say that sometimes you make bad cards on purpose and the, and and there's a reason for doing that. So I'll let that be cryptically out there. But maybe we can talk about that in, a, in another podcast in the future. But 
Sometimes you yeah, have a good reason or, for making a bad card. Players, what uh, if they think that there's a card out there they think was purposely made bad? Yeah, unfortunately, there'll be a lot of cards that I've written that will probably get examples of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but at least at least you can uh, lord over the fact you didn't make more than meets the eye over Gerard. So. <laughs> another card with great intention that just oh just what's so bad so bad oh man gerard had so much high hope charlie i want you to tell me tell tell the, the general population out there something about you that they may not know i know that you're you're pretty uh open with stuff but something about you or maybe a misconception about you that you'd like to clear up for uh the general population there um well, that's a good question. Um, I should have expected that question, and I didn't. Yeah, uh, I know. I'm, I'm sneaky that way. You are sneaky, sneaky that way. Something about me that nobody knows that they don't. I don't know. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's. I think that I'm very. I'm very reliant on a, a good support system, and and I. I don't think it's a secret, but I've had some issues in the past with uh, depression and um, bipolarness and, and so forth. And, and being unemployed and not having insurance means I'm not on my medication right now. Um, fortunately, I have a really great support system. Uh, you and Dan and Johnny and Chris and, and all the guys on the continuing committee and, and I've got my parents and they're very supportive and, and I have some other uh, gaming friends that aren't Trek related that are always willing to put up with my stupid crap and uh, that, that the public doesn't see my stupid crap, but some of these guys do. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. And it makes doing all the stuff that I do so much easier because there are so many good people out there that benefit from the work that I do. So. Oh, that's great. That's great. So uh, I'm running out of questions here for you, but uh, I do have a, 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 a question for you and it's a really important question so you could feel free to take as much of your time to to think about this and if you want to go through some of uh how you get to this answer but i know it's a question that a lot of uh the listeners out there they they want to know the answer to and i'm desperately curious too which hoskin brother do you like the most (laughs) oh my god um Um, wow. Uh, you know what? I don't like either of them. They're, they're both. Oh, good answer. Good answer. (laughs) They're, they're, they're fun guys. I like talking to them, but you know, they can both piss off. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, James is, is uh, so hardworking and he's, he's, he's so dedicated. Both of them. I mean, they've come to Gen Con for at least the last five years and, we always just pick up and start hanging out like we. I'd like to. I'd like to go drinking with them and and have a steak and and hang out with them more than just at tournaments. But uh, James took over for me last at Gen Con last year when I had the kidney stone, and uh, that was just so nice of him. And, and Will did demos all day and and helped people. And Will said nice things about my deck, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say I like Will better just because he said nice things oh. about my Starfleet deck. 
they're both great. They're, if you've never had the chance to meet them, they're they're outstanding guys, and uh, I hope they keep coming over to Gen Con, and that next time we run Worlds in Europe, I can go over there and uh, spend more time with them because they're just they're just great guys. Charlie, I love that you've answered these questions. I think that's going to give a lot of these people what they're looking for out there, and hopefully it might spur some uh, some more questions in case you want to do a, another interview like this with someone else. Um, I, I think that's all the questions I've got here for you today, unless there's a question that you wanted me to ask that I didn't ask you. No, I, I think you hit all the stuff I expected, and you definitely hit some stuff I didn't expect. Um, I always think yes. I talk too much, but... That's a big part of my job, and I want to invite everybody out there to come find me in the chat room. I'm in there most days, so send me a private message. I'm Midnight Lich. Uh, you can send me an email at cplane at gmail.com. You can send me a letter. My address is on the promenade. You can always track me down, and I'm more than willing to listen to your concerns. I'll do my best to answer your questions. Uh, you know, I get 30 or 40 private messages a day. I get 40 or 50 emails a day. Uh, so it may take me some time to get back to you, but I I'm, I'm here for you guys. And anytime you have specific questions or concerns, you can bring them to me, or I can at least point you to the person to take them to. Um, we'll see how the people like this podcast. If, if the feedback's good and there are a lot of unanswered questions, maybe... In a couple months or so, I'll, I'll bring someone else on and do another Ask the Chairman type of thing. But, Brad, Brad, I appreciate you taking the time to interview me, and, and your questions are great. So, Well, th th thanks for doing it. I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity, Joe. All right, well, I will call it a day then, and if you guys have further questions, you can always find me on the message boards. So. Mm -hmm.